Hi, welcome to the On Becoming Educated podcast, where I, Pa Vu, will share my experience as a first-generation PhD student. June leads into the rainy season in Thailand, and temperatures run in the 90s with humidity higher than anything I'd ever experienced before. Some days, my clothes seemed to melt onto every single inch of my skin. I found myself taking two or three showers a day and carrying a packet of tissues in my purse that I could blot my face with when the sweating became unbearable. Yet, at each meal, I ordered hot soup with spices and slurped the yummy goodness as if it was the middle of winter. It was in this atmosphere that I began to seriously consider going back to school. At my current position, I am part of the Asian and Pacific Islander Council on my campus. Last summer, my colleague and good friend Yer and I were given the opportunity to go to Chiang Mai, Thailand to support the Highland Peoples of Southeast Asia Study Abroad program led by Chico State professors William Nitsky, Chin Yan Song, and Tony Waters. I was born in Thailand in a small village in Nan province near the Thai Lao border. So any chance to return to Thailand was a chance I wanted to take. Although the program was suspended this summer due to COVID-19, I will go ahead and link the website to the show notes in case anyone is interested in taking a look at it. For anyone who was born in Thailand or who has connections to the refugee camps there, I really highly recommend going back. And this is a great opportunity to do it. It's a one-month study abroad program. And it's led by professors, so your experience is really um, contextualized and guided. And that made such a huge difference in helping me and in helping your and in helping a lot of the other students understand the history and, and the impact of the different ethnic groups that are in the area. So I highly encourage you taking a look at this link and this program and checking it out. It is most likely coming back next year. So during one of our mini excursions in Chiang Mai, I found myself standing outside a clothing stall, peeking at a little girl hiding behind a rack of wide-legged harem pants. We were in Ban Doi Pui, a Hmong village, a short drive from the popular Doi Sutap temple. Yer and I were accompanying the professors and students, and because we both spoke Hmong, we translated here and there as needed. Seeing the little girl, I immediately launched into conversation. Nyojongwa, I said with a wide grin, hoping that a friendly smile would help lure her out of the clothes. It's a common greeting in the Hmong language. Literally translated, it means stay well or are you well. The equivalent in English would probably be hello. Funny enough, though, the little girl hid even further. An elderly woman sitting on a stool nearby, stitching bright patterns on a piece of white canvas, smiled up at me. She said. She doesn't know how to speak Hmong. Oh, I said a little confused. Does she only speak Thai? The woman confirmed that yes, the girl only spoke Thai. She explained to me that the girl's parents spoke Thai and school was conducted in Thai, so the little girl could only speak Thai. 
As we walked through the village, we quickly learned that even though they were Hmong and we were Hmong, one of the first questions we had to ask was, Do you know how to speak Hmong? As it turned out, none of the children we met, and we met many in Ban Doi Pui, could communicate with us. It wasn't until we traveled east of Chiang Mai to Nan province and the remote villages there that we were able to have conversations with the children. As Yur and I contemplated and discussed this phenomenon, we were able to experience and observe it firsthand. Maybe, we thought, the children in that first village, Ban Doi Pui, were just too close to Chiang Mai and too close to tourism and the Thai language. While in the latter villages, the children were still safe from overexposure to Thai. Instruction at school was in Thai, but when they went home, their parents still spoke Hmong. Their village still used Hmong as the main language, the main way of communication. These were just guesses we made about why children were speaking Hmong in one village and not speaking Hmong in another. But we really never came to any solid conclusions. I didn't and I couldn't stop thinking about the children throughout the trip because I was pretty much witnessing the same thing in the U.S., where through no fault of their own, through assimilation, through many small and large decisions made by parents, schools, and the government. Hmong children in the U.S. were also speaking less and less Hmong. Loss of language isn't a new phenomenon. UNESCO reports 2,500 endangered languages worldwide. Of these languages, 230 have gone extinct since 1950. Extinct as in disappeared, as in no one speaks these languages anymore, as in dead. Well, what does this mean, you might ask? It's not like we won't be able to communicate. We can still speak other languages. And for me specifically, even if I were to lose Hmong, I could still speak English. So losing one language doesn't mean losing the ability to speak. But as many studies, including my own master's thesis research, has shown, we experience much of our culture through language. History, values, and religion are just some of the many things kept alive through language. So when we lose a language, we risk losing these things. And we also lose some of the way we think about these things. In my statement of purpose, I wrote... As a Hmong woman who has been minoritized, othered, and erased, I feel a responsibility to my people to pursue a PhD in education. I came to the U.S. when I was five years old and, like many immigrants, learned English as a survival language. I learned it so well that it became my first language, relegating my native language, Hmong, to a trick I sometimes pulled out of my pocket. Feeling this loss and the constant threat of erasure at a young age, I taught myself how to write in Hmong, and within two weeks memorized 56 consonants, 13 vowels, and 8 tones. In pursuing a PhD, I hope to preserve the Hmong language and culture, investigate the role heritage language plays in students' lives, and transform educational research by disrupting colonial systems of power. I've always felt as though the Hmong people were slowly being erased, not just in the U.S., but also in Thailand. 
and I'm sure in France and Australia and Laos and Vietnam too. Anywhere where we're the minority, where to survive we have to conform. This phenomenon weighs heavily on my heart. And that's why I wanted to return to school. I want to understand what is happening to the Hmong language. And I want to explore ways in which the Hmong community could preserve our language without making huge changes to the way that we're living now. At this moment, some of you might be thinking, well, if she wants to preserve the Hmong language, why isn't she just speaking Hmong? Let me start out by saying the simplicity and unfairness of this question frustrates me. And it always has. I remember seeing this question pop up in the comments of multiple Facebook Live videos where the hosts were Hmong but speaking English. You're Hmong, the commenters would say almost accusatorily in English. <laughs> so speak Hmong. Other times, commenters simply lamented sadly that the Hmong language was disappearing. Although I feel like I understand where these commenters are coming from, I think it's a disservice to the history and resilient journey of the Hmong people to think that we can simply preserve the Hmong language if everyone would just speak Hmong. There are bigger and more powerful forces at play here than choice or desire. Once, while I was leading a workshop, this question came up. I had more than 10 Hmong students and staff sitting in a circle. The space was designed to be a safe and respectful space to discuss topics of identity and culture. I remember one particular student was adamant about the need to speak Hmong in order to be Hmong and communicated this very clearly and strongly to the group knowing that there were students in the group who didn't speak Hmong. To their credit, the students were quite understanding of each other and their preferences. While I allowed the first student to express his feelings because I understood the desperation in his claim, I also felt that I needed to respond to him. We can't have a discussion about a minority language, I said, without also discussing colonialism, immigration, assimilation, and the refugee experience. For many of us and for many people out there, the decision to speak our native or heritage language is out of our control. Maybe our parents decided for us because they felt that it was important to learn how to speak the language of power. In the U.S., that language is English. Maybe we decided for ourselves that to fit in, we have to speak English. And even more so, we have to also consider that everything around us is in English. TV, books, magazines, websites, music. When we go to school, we learn in English. We most likely think in English. I dream in English. With all of these forces, it's difficult to just speak Hmong, as some people might suggest. To be honest, I don't think I said all of these things, and I don't think I was this articulate when I asked the students to remember the forces that shaped our decisions to keep one language and to let go of the other. What I wanted and hoped I communicated was that no matter what decision our parents make or we make about language, we shouldn't feel guilty about it because so much of it is out of our control. And if we do choose to work on one particular language, then we shouldn't shame another person for not choosing the same thing. And I wish I had said even more. I wish I had said, look around you. 
Look at where you are. Look at who you're living amongst. Look at the technology in your hand, the book on your shelf, the signs that you drive by when you come to school, the writing on the bag of chips you just opened. Look at those things and then remember how you got to where you are. Remember how you got to be in America. Yes, we are slowly losing our language. Yes, we are slowly forgetting the ceremonies that meant so much to our parents and their parents. I feel the pain of the loss, too. But look how far we've come. Look how much we have kept regardless of the loss. And don't devalue all of that by saying we aren't Hmong unless we speak Hmong. I also don't think it's fair to guilt trip a generation into keeping things that they feel are no longer valuable to them. Maybe we can learn from this generation instead. Maybe we can learn what lights them up about the Hmong culture and language. Maybe we can gain insight into how they think about the world. And then maybe we can design efforts that can really preserve our language. And this is where my future research comes in. Although the Hmong language will be my main topic, here are some of the more detailed topics I'm considering. One, Hmong American students' attitudes toward the Hmong language. I want to specifically understand what value they assign to the language and in what situations they find the language necessary or preferred. I think without understanding this first, it would be challenging to design any kind of successful heritage language preservation program. Two, what role the ability to maintain Hmong plays in students' psychological, cognitive, linguistic, social, and academic success? Well, maybe not all of these things. If I had to choose, I would probably go with academic success. There is some belief that students should forego their heritage language in order to learn English so they can blend in and do well in school. Research, however, shows that students' heritage language maintenance is important to their development and to their academic success. Three, what efforts are being made to preserve the Hmong language? I've heard of a handful of Hmong dual language programs where students are taught in English and Hmong. I've also heard of after-school enrichment programs, student organizations, and community cultural centers. A few weeks ago, as I was mourning the end of one chapter of my life, I started listening to Hmong songs on YouTube because for some things that I'm experiencing, only a Hmong song can do justice to the emotions that I'm going through. <laughs> While I was on YouTube, I realized that a lot of Hmong American singers were choosing to sing in Hmong, and young Hmong people are listening. This fascinated me and made me hopeful for the future of the Hmong language. I'm so excited about the opportunity to study the attitudes toward and practices of the Hmong language in depth in the next five to seven years. I'm so excited that I could hardly sit still. I'm hopeful that the answers I find will not only be interesting, but also enlightening and useful to research, education, and the Hmong community. More than anything, I hope the answers I find will help preserve the Hmong language for future generations. Thank you for listening. 
Make sure to subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts or the podcast listening platform of your choice to be notified when new episodes are up. If you would like to support this podcast, a rating and review would go a long way. Podcasts with ratings and reviews are more likely to be found by listeners. So I would very much appreciate it if you can take a few minutes to rate and review this podcast. If you would like to make a donation to help me run this podcast, you can do so at ko-fi.com slash onbecomingeducated. That's ko-fi.com slash onbecomingeducated. Every dollar helps. Follow me on Instagram at bypavu and the podcast at onbecomingeducated. Lastly, to access transcripts and submit listener questions, go to www.onbecomingeducated.com.